This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to A Sunday Kind of Love. I'm Maya Tan and I've got Tasha Fussil with me on this episode. You know, we curate recommendations in events, books, film and music for you. Things to look out for in the week ahead. But in this episode, because Medeka is coming up, we kind of want to plunge into the warmth and comfort of familiar things we hold close to our hearts or have forgotten about, take them off the shelf, dust them off a bit and admire them all over again. So Malaysia is turning 57 this year. Did you notice that it's been 57 years since 1957? And in this time, we've had some good memories, some not so good. But good or bad, you know, it's still a place I call home. So on this episode, instead of talking about what's new, we'll talk about what's old. On Scout and About, we take you on a walkabout to an iconic part of KL with things to buy, eat and see, including a musical to remind us of how Kuala Lumpur came to be. The story is about three very good friends, Mat, Meng and Mutea who all come from slightly different backgrounds. They come to KL to search for opportunities. They come to KL to find a new life. And the story sort of follows that path of them facing the challenges of from a village to a town, this whole idea of KL from just being a tin mining town to becoming state capital of Selangor. And then find out who our resident couch potatoes, Christina Oro and Edwin Suman, are talking about here. Seeing as it's the tail end of Raya season and you may have some gatherings yet for Shawal or Madeka, Tasha curates some party life hacks and shortcuts for that last kope get-together. No chip and dip tray? No problem! Stick a wine glass in the middle of a large bowl and fill the bowl with chips for an instant chip and dip set. But first up, come on a walkabout with me and Tasha. So the theme for Merdeka this year is Disini Lahe Subwajinta. Yeah. It got me thinking about what it is I love about our city. But then I realised that there's actually quite a bit that I haven't actually seen or done as a Malaysian myself. Mm. Um, so I actually thought it would be nice to talk about some of the places that I would want to visit um, if I were discovering Malaysia for the first time or if I'd just like to pay homage to our upcoming Independence Day. These are by no means hidden gems. Uh, they're heritage buildings and recognised places that have pretty strong ties to the historical development of our country. Mm. So I'd start at the focal point of 1957, Datar Merdeka. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, I've driven by so many times but never really took the time to stop and actually set foot on the grass of the square. Mm. It's a little too hot to picnic on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can imagine. But you are actually allowed to visit and walk on the field and it's just great for taking photos of the Tudor Influence Lango Club or the Sultan Abdul Samad building that's uh, across the Padang. Mm. And you can park at Datar Merdeka itself. They have a basement car park. Or you could park at the nearby Dayabumi building which gives you walking access to all the places we're going to today. Awesome. Yep, so nearby is also the very famous Coliseum Cafe, uh, which I think started off in the 30s. So you could actually begin the walk with an old-fashioned kopi o or mm. teh si. By the way, si is for carnation, referring to unsweetened evaporated milk. And of course, it's selfie heaven lah. <laughs> or if you're a photographer with substance, then you know the bar connected to the dining hall. It's great for photos with its old-world furnishings, very mid-century. And then if you stroll down Jalan Tonko Abdul Rahman, there are lots of fabric stores there, group silk stores there, mm-hmm. um, and I think Jackal and 
What's the other big one? Kamda? Oh, so it's just that whole row of... That whole stretch. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So you can actually walk around and soak in that, that old world atmosphere. And uh, at the end of that, it'll bring you to the old courts buildings and the Sultan Abdul Samad monument. Again, it's a great photo op for you. You can soak in the heritage of your city, do some selfies or some artful shots. The building was designed by AC Norman and it was built in 1894 to 1897 and it housed several government departments during the British administration. AC Norman actually spent spent time in Africa and saw all these Muslim mosques in India which led him to use Mughal architecture in the building's design. Wow, yeah, mm-hmm. so that explains it. It looks a little bit um, Moorish, a little bit Indian. So there's a 41-metre tower and it chimed for the first time to coincide with the with Queen Victoria's Jubilee Parade in 1897 and it has chimed every day ever since. Oh, mm. oh by the way, um, we should mention that there's some special Medeka programming happening on the 31st of August and at 11am, the folks at Isla KL will be speaking to four heritage conservationists about some of the historical landmarks in KL with a special feature on Stadium Merdeka. Cool. Mm. Um, so, in that vicinity, you also come across Pangong Bandaraya. This is another beautiful building and it's also a little bit Moorish or perhaps it's Mughal. It's 110 years old and if you want to get back to the root of it all, what's playing there at the moment is Mud the Musical. It's staged there. Uh, some friends of mine, Gafir Akbar and Amsalam Dorai Singham, who worked on the musical produced by Tiara Jacqueline, spoke to Mira Sivasothi about the show. The story is about three very good friends, Mud, Meng and Mutea who all come from slightly different backgrounds. They come to KL to search for opportunities. They come to KL to find a new life. And the story sort of follows that path of them facing the challenges of from a village to a town, this whole idea of KL from just being a tin mining town to becoming state capital of Selangor, um, the great fire of KL in 1881, then the great flood of KL also in 1881. So it's them coming together and the idea of that forgotten community, the everyday people, the tin miner, the market woman, you know, those those characters that we see in all those old photographs and you always wonder what their stories are. Yeah. And for us, that's what Mud is about. So there are two shows per day, a matinee at 3pm and one at 8.30pm, and it's on for the next three years. Wow. Yep. So you can get tickets over the counter or online at mudkale.com and uh, on the website as well, all the information including directions to the location and synopses about the musical are all there. And at the edge of the Sultan Abdul Samad building is the National Textiles Museum. Hmm. The museum has four different galleries for you to explore. You could start with an introduction to the origins of Malaysian textiles. So you can learn the different techniques and processes that go into creating Malaysian batik and songkit. Then you could move on to the next gallery uh, where there's a heritage collection of fabrics from the different ethnic groups in our community. So from the embroidered silks of the Chinese to the beaded cloths of Baba Nyonya, there'll be heaps for you to see there. If you're curious about the types of songkit and kain tenun that we have, there is a dedicated gallery that focuses on just that. The final stop would be at the Ratna Sari. It's a gallery which exhibits all the types of jewellery and adornments crafted by Malaysian artisans. Mm, interesting. And I think sometimes they may have seasonal exhibitions there as well. Yes, there's so a temporary you... gallery I think that houses some mm. different yeah, exhibitions from time to time. So yeah, you can Google the website and see what's showing. Uh, now a hop, skip and jump away from the National Textiles Museum you'll find Central Market and Chinatown, of course. And from time to time, I kind of like visiting Chinatown and the Pasasani area. I even take the LRT sometimes there as the Pasasani stop, you know, it's just exactly where I want to be. You can start your journey in Central Market itself. Lots of little curios and antiques to look at. And if you like photography, there's a well-stocked Lomo store on the ground floor called 
photographs and they also print photos on canvas if you need it. And then if it's lunchtime, you can head up to Precious, which is on the first floor. Precious is this cute little restaurant. <laughs> it serves Pranakan cuisine, it's halal. The nasi lemak is to die for. It's actually like blue. Ooh. <laughs> you know, dyed with that morning glory flower. Um, I don't know what flower like you crabble, call but nasi lemak. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then there's Nyonya Laksa, Top Hats, Loba, uh, Chicken Loba, that is, uh, Misiam. And you'll find all the favourites there. It's got a great ambience. The outer dining room is actually very mid century with all the old fashioned wooden booths and glass top wooden tables. And once I saw a poster of Catherine Deneuve from the movie Belle de Jour slip into the glass, so I was like, wow, it had a nice little shock factor there. <laughs> Then when you're done with lunch, you could take a stroll outside and cross the road to Peterho Evolution. Uh, you'll see it, it's the end shop house and it's painted a leafy green facing the main central market entrance. Now the only thing you need to do there is ask for directions to Peterho Beyond, which is a few steps away in the Lee Rubber Building. If you see things you like at Peterho Evolution, don't worry because you'll also find these and even more at Peterho Beyond. You'll also pass a wholesale flower shop on your left on the way there. So do a quick scout if you like, but you can buy some on your way out. Right. I've been able to find some sweet pea flowers there. They've got, always got some nice pom-poms, a um, mm. big variety, and the prices are great as well. Okay, we'll have to check that out. Yeah, and then once you get to the Lee Rubber Building, which I love because it's so very 60s, mm. you take the lift up to the second floor, you can take the stairs, and you'll be greeted with this high ceiling loft space filled with gorgeous soft furnishings and delightful prints, big variety of colours, there's jewellery there, there's really good looking contemporary souvenirs, you know, those you'll be proud to uh, make tourists buy or, yeah. and you might even want to take some home yourself. They've got fabric covered notebooks with whimsical motifs and pastels and there's, there's way more placemats, napkins, tea cozies, pillow covers, cushions, picture frames, glassware, other decorations, you name it, they'll have it. Fast, flash and rising Malaysian designer Justin Yap has his atelier there as well and he has some really cool full leather bags and accessories there worth mentioning apart from the divine gowns and ready-to-wear that are also there. Mm. And when you're done soaking in all the natural light and browsing, sit at the cafe within for a coffee and a bit of cake. They also serve some light western meals at Peterhole like quiche and salad. So have a look and file away for future reference. Otherwise, after shopping at Peter Ho's, you can stroll towards Hotel Malaya and go into Petaling Street. And if you haven't tried it, you have to stop at the Mata Kuching stand for an ice-cold yes, ice drink of this sweet, almost herbal-tasting uh, dried longan drink. Mm. Buy some roasted chestnuts or just sniff the aroma in. And if you like, there are fruit vendors and Taupu Fa salads as well. I love taking photos of the facades and sometimes the ruined little alleys that you know that are around the area. Yeah, also nearby to the right of the Lee Rubber Building, just a few steps away actually, is Sri Mahamariaman Temple. Now this is the oldest Hindu temple in Malaysia. It was built in 1873 and has been rather well conserved. Uh, I think, you know, they managed to raise funds of millions in order to wow. conserve this temple. So it's got a wonderfully peaceful ambience and you can literally feel the temperature drop when you step inside. You know, it's so cool. And the wall paintings and carvings are always, you know, just marvellous to look at. I can't get over the tall wooden doors and the serene classic blue walls, you know, something something divine and, and deliciously soothing happens when you step inside. Mm. I suppose after you get that respite from the heat, you could wander around the streets of Chinatown. Oh, you'll find many wholesale shops with lots of bargains. Uh, there'll be women's accessories, handbags, shoes. If you're into crafting or need art supplies, the Nanyang Art Store is in the vicinity and there are jewellery making supply stores too. Mm. Uh, Macy's is also there, it's a haberdashery store. Mm -hmm. And closer to Jalan Bandar, another place that you could try out for lunch is the Old China Cafe. 
again, it's got this old world ambience with traditional Peranakan fare, and you can check out their very cute website, oldchinacafe.com.my. I think they open all the way till 11 pm, from 10 am to 11 pm, so you can have dinner there yeah. as well. And then on your way out, if you're heading back out to Central Market, remember to pick up your flowers and voila! A day spent walking around our beloved city. Sounds lovely. Mm. So we hope you'll be planning your own little walkabout soon. Do Google Map or look up the locations on ways. You know, whether you plan your route or leave it to chance and let life happen, it's up to you. But a kick-ass playlist is always something that we recommend. <laughs> and in keeping with today's theme, I recommend a little bit of music from that era in Malaysia when we were full of style, independence and hope. And here to kickstart that playlist is our very on Sean Gazi with Ku Impikan Bintang taken from the album Samalam. We'll be back with Couch Potatoes and their favourite Malaysian artists right after this. Maya Tan and Tasha Fusil here on A Sunday Kind of Love BFM 89.9 Ku Impikan Bintang Jatuh ke bumi Menyinari awan Yang berat hujan Dalam kegelapan malam Bintang membawa harapan Sinaran cinta kita Belailah daku dalam dakapanmu Semaikan ku dalam mimpi-mimpimu Bila berdua indah segala Seakan kita di syurga Ku berdoa agar cinta kita Seperti bintang yang menyinar Nyata bintang takkan jatuh ke bumi Namun kita kan jatuh cinta Listening to BFM 89.9, Maya Tan here. It's a Sunday kind of love, and it's time to find out who our resident couch potatoes, Christina Oro and Edwin Sumun, are talking about here. With Malaysiana being the focus of our attention this week, I thought I'd tap into your radars to see which Malaysian authors, filmmakers and musicians are getting you excited and proud to be Malaysian. First of all, do we have an artistic identity? Do people look at our films and go, ha, ah, Malaysian? Secondly, do we need this artistic identity? I think we do. Uh, maybe not one we would all like. I mean, I think, you know, you could say all the... Matrampit movies are a Malaysian identity, a and film those, identity. those comedic hantu movies that we keep churning out now on a very regular basis. Mm. I mean, we can look at it and we go, yes, that's very Malaysian because we're the only people who make movies like this. Not really. I think, uh, you know, that whole horror trail started off in Japan, went to Korea. No, but there's a horror trail. We're doing the funny comedy horror Pontianak stories, right. which just keep Malaysian. coming out every month. Yeah. A new take on a different kind of, of horror movie. Doesn't Thail- you know? Thailand do that? Or Indonesia? It does, but I think that there's a particular flavour that we 
Hmm. Identify with. Yes. We we sometimes think, oh well, haha, that's us, or haha, or you know, mm. oh god, that's terrible. I hope nobody yeah, you know, watches things that. Things like um, hantu hantu botol kicap and things like that. That's very Malaysian, isn't it? Yeah, or the one we were talking about the other week, which was about the housemate. Or oh whatever. yeah, hantu kawan aku di... mati dalam rumah sewa. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yes. I don't think anyone makes movies like this, <laughs> but we do, and that 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 kind of is this. This new identity that we have in in film, local films. Mm. You could think of it uh, the same way the carry-on films were way back when with the British, yeah. where some people might have poo-pooed them. But, but they've become like a cultural icon. It's yeah. iconic now to watch a carry-on movie. You know, all 30 over films that they made throughout, what, 30 years? And with the same ensemble of actors in most of them. They've become an institution. Yes, it's become an institution. But I think definitely they reflect something about the British. It definitely says something about them. They're quirky, they're odd, they're, you know, they like the same thing or, you know, whatever you want to say. I think that you could say that about whatever popular culture stuff you see. Speaking about cultural icons, you know, do you think the that whole Studio Ampas era, the P. Ramli era, would be the golden era of our filmmaking, you know, in terms of Malaysian history? Not yeah, so, yeah would I you think say golden so. era. I would, I, I would say it's like in Hollywood, you'd have the golden age of cinema making, but then there were so many yeah, but they were platitudes, gold, yeah, uh, you know, that, conventions associated with that that we don't really have now. But you can look back on it nostalgically. I don't want to say the P. Ramli era was the golden era. It definitely was a wonderful era. But it's what I think kick-started us. Mm-hmm. He kick-started us. Whereas in Hollywood, if it's golden era, they had already been making films. Yeah. You know, up to that point, then suddenly became Hollywood, the MGM days, you know. Yeah. But P. Ramli for us is is something we all look back with with such fondness, with such... Uh, admiration and respect and I mean for me I think the golden era came maybe 70s 80s when we started making movies Mm. and a lot of movies and a lot of film stars that we look up to now are the actors and actresses from that generation Azian Irdawati the late Azian Irdawati Mm. and you have uh, you know No Kumala Sari even the comedians we had who we look up to today came from that era. I think mm-hmm. that was the golden era of Malaysian film. And if you're talking about comedy, I think until today, we're still referencing Piramli's yes, flavour of the, comedy. That flavour started it all for us. Mm. Any Malaysian film favourites? Of course. <laughs> Christina Oro has a lot of favourites and they all tend to be Aflin Shauki movies. Well, I do, I do particularly like one of his movies, which was his very first movie, which was Bully. Mm-hmm. Because up until... Hey, I was in that one. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> up until being involved with that, the only other movies that I kind of responded to were a couple of Hafsha movies, which I had seen very... You know, I, I didn't really have that much of a movie exposure after the Piramli movies because I wasn't here during my, my childhood. Hmm. But um, it was only after seeing what... Aflin wanted to write for that movie that uh, I felt, oh, this is a director that I could, or uh, these were films that I could really respond to. It, maybe it's personal because I was involved in the movies, but um, 
I think that he definitely struck a chord when he, his movie came out, yeah. and a lot of people with felt Bully. they could yeah. re- with resonate with a lot of Aflin's yeah. movies. Actually, because, Bully was yeah. is also one of my Aflin Chowki favorites. Mm. I would have to say, and not just because I had a little cameo thingy in yeah, there. But that's not my Aflin Chowki favorite. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which is yours, Edwin? <laughs> the one that I was in, <laughs> Lost and Found. Yeah, I thought. Oh, that, that was hilarious. That was hilarious, and this is how Aflin's mind works. And it was I, Aflin I, and Adlin. You know, and I. I, I really love the way his mind works. I think that's why, Christina, also you related to it so much because mm-hmm. his sense of picture, mm-hmm. I guess, it, it's so different from what everyone else was doing at the time. And mm-hmm. he still is someone with this crazy mind today. And I, I love it anytime he does something. You know, mm-hmm. you know you're going to like it. At yeah. the very least, you're going to like it. Mm-hmm. And I believe yeah. that, you know, Aflin's brand of humour really is um, a little bit more well-rounded, you know. It's silly, yes, it has its silly moments, but it also has its smart, clever moments, you know, and you go like, oh my God, that is so witty. Or, you know, this timing is perfect. The whole premise of this movie is just brilliant, like Lost and Found. And She's ridiculous, actually, the premise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's these two people who can't really it. find, who don't really have their heads on straight, mm. who, as a team, really know how to lo- find lost they things. They locate all kinds of things. <laughs> and to call the movie Lost, Done, Found, which yeah. is the two characters' names, names. Lost and Found. Yeah, his, his spread of comedy is very well-developed and it has depth. Well, watching a movie made by Aflin is pretty much um, like having a conversation with him, which is where you think you're going in a certain direction (laughs) and you find that he's been going in a different direction and has something completely different on his mind. Uh, And the surprises sometimes are there. Other times it's just, you know, this is the silliest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) But um, definitely, I think, sentiment is very, very much a part of his movie. He's a very sentimental movie maker. Oh, yeah. And I Papadum. think Papadum, mm. which I think is kind of like um, part two of his uh, movie journey, I guess, starting with Bully, and then he did a whole lot of sort of different uh, comedies and things like that, and then came around to Papadum 2, which was back to something a bit more serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Papadum, sorry. But also to give a shout-out to all the filmmakers we have now, I mean, who really led in the last... I say 15 years, 20 years, we've had some amazing films by Ami Muhammad. Dane Side. You know, and Dane Side, who mm-hmm. recently made one of, I think, the most well watched movies because a lot of people went to watch his movies, even Bunohan. though it was mm-hmm. only, yeah, Bunohan was only in the cinemas for what, four, four weeks? Or so less. Like, Perhaps, you know, Wajib Tayang is only two weeks. Yeah. yeah, so four weeks was a big deal. It wasn't just Wajib Tayang. I think they went over the Wajib Tayang. And right. he's, I think, currently thinking of a new film already. Well, speaking yeah. about Dane's side, I had the privilege of watching a band movie of his, and it was the movie he made about Mona Fendi. <gasps> I've he been dying was, to watch that movie. I was so upset to contractually, hear that it had been banned. Yeah, contractually, he's not allowed to show it at all. So mm-hmm. we did not get to see the entire film, of course, but mm-hmm. he showed us specific scenes. And I think it would have been a major hit. I think so, too. Yeah. No, he's another one, a man with a... a crazy, crazy, <laughs> he's crazy, twisted... No, he looks crazy, that's the yeah. thing. Because, well, you know, he, he doesn't look crazy. His <laughs> hair just looks greasy. Her. It's not crazy, it's just greasy hair. Yeah, but he cleans up nice. He cleans up nice. He makes good movies. Yeah, <laughs> He makes good movies. That's the most important thing. So, Bully was your favourite Malaysian film. and Spinning <laughs> Gassing, of course. Oh, God, were you in that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, as a movie, I don't think it was tight, 
mm-hmm. as a movie. I mean, yes, I was in it. I was very happy to be on the poster and whatever. But for what it did for the film industry at that time, mm-hmm. really did help shift a few things for us. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the movie was not allowed to be screened in Malaysia till suddenly it went off and won some obscure theater award somewhere in the world, and then we go, oh, we have to show this in Malaysia. <laughs> Um, and then that kind of kick-started this idea that, you know, our films actually are of international quality. Because mm. um, before, it was so difficult for the filmmakers like James and, and, and Ame to actually just kick it through. But this, this one really superficial movie with some beautiful scenes mm-hmm. was the one that made the, the film board take notice of mm-hmm. what could be done. Mm-hmm. more than just the normal everyday movie. Yeah, I remember at that point, um, there were very few Malaysian movies that I watched and there were very few Malaysian films in Malay, English or, or multilingual in the market. And I remember this one scene that I loved and that's you singing the Maggie Me <laughs> jingle <laughs> in, the, in the, the very beautiful kitchen set that you had. Wow, I don't even remember that scene. <laughs> You don't? I, it's just you going, Maggie Me, cepat dimasak sedap dimakan. I remember yeah. that. Now, <laughs> and you know, just identifying with that very Malaysian iconic moment, the, yeah, um, that, that's what you know, the movie gave me did. pleasure. It, right? it, thank you. It gave it gave me a lot of pleasure to be on that set because there were you know some of the most recognized Malaysian actors in there, the late Hani Mohsen. Mm. Uh, of course, me now, you know, being so recognized when I look <laughs> in the mirror, and <laughs> and it was it was a it was a good experience, and for it to have done what it did. Mm. and allowed all the young filmmakers and I think it's what triggered a lot of young filmmakers to to. I to think get also definitely a visual style as well. Yes. Which is kind of uh, very lyrical, very pretty and uh, there are a lot of recent movies that have come out in the last couple of years I think that look luscious. They kind of trigger nostalgic memories or a feeling like oh, this is a slightly retro, slightly rose-tinted but... Yeah. It looks gorgeous and, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Well, the cultural connections, I think, are very important because in Malay movies, you go and you see a certain style of acting. You hear a certain style of speaking, of mm-hmm. language that the Malay actors just pick up and they go like, I'm acting now because <laughs> I'm talking like um, Yusuf Haslam. Well, all of that, all of that coupled with the subject matter or the trends of filmmaking, I think... A, a window into us as a society, mm-hmm. you know. But but that kind of uh, Malay acting, I feel, it was acceptable and it was instantly recognisable as, okay, if you're going to be doing a film, this is the way actors speak on screen. Yeah. And it wasn't entirely real. And uh, Spinning Gussing was one of the earlier films that did that for me. Just yeah. create that cultural connection and go like, yeah, I talk like this. Hmm. Yeah, mm. That was a good thing. Yeah. I mean, you look at films today, I mean, the last big film that happened was The Journey which yeah. wow yes. that just very good reception that was very it. good reviews yeah a simple cinematic simple again, story nostalgic yeah. pretty movie that just told the story of this one old man <laughs> and we we relate to things like this are there any Malaysian writers that you like yes <laughs> I would like to say and this is like such a like fanboy moment for me is Ahmad Said. Mm-hmm. I love him. I think he writes such beautiful stories about 
humanity and about the people in Malaysia. He's also a bit of a hopeless romantic, which is great. <laughs> he is, Comes he through is. in all his poems. When Selina, his book about that kampong girl who went off to, to yes, find it was work, recently it was uh, translated into English. So I bought the English version, and that day I bumped into him in the food court. Wow! And I ran up to him <laughs> and I was like, "Hi, sir!" Like a little schoolboy, can I have your autograph? And he was like, okay. <laughs> Such a lovely man. Mm, and, mm. and you know, to, to to have it in its original form and then to have it translated, it's to read both forms and it's still equally as beautiful in English as it is. Right. Mm. What's Selena about? It's set in the 50s, you know, during the times when we were about to become Malaysia. Mm. This girl, Selena, is poor and wants to, to do better for herself and to to do her family proud, she goes off to find work and she has to become like a waitress in Singapore. Mm. So it's it's her life and how mm. she moves through this new Malaysia. Lovely. What about you? Well, I haven't had a good exposure to local writers. I'm aware of uh, new books coming up and there's quite a lot of titles coming up and I mm. know there's a huge... Malay novel industry going on but yeah. um, the only writer that I really have been reading regularly is Dina Zaman and she's not really a, a novelist per se but she writes a column and mm. I, I really like her voice which is sort of this quirky slightly irritated Malay woman voice <laughs> but always you know always very positive and always wondering at people's in idiosyncrasies which I really like because we all wonder about why people do such silly things and she's very honest and quite um, brings up a few subject matters that I wouldn't have thought might be able to be talked about. But mm. because of her honest approach and because she uh, writes from experience and things that have happened to her, it's kind of like a little Instagram of her life, I suppose. <laughs> Instagram nice. in a book. Insta book. Insta book. Like yeah. you also, Maya, you... You've contributed to two Malaysian anthologies, a collection of stories. Yeah, well, you know, I, I have to say a big thank you to Amir Muhammad of uh, Fixie. Fixie has been a, a catalyst of, for the Malaysian writer, giving so many of us a voice and a share of, of the bookshelf, right? Mm. Um, otherwise, you know, many of us would be writing our short stories or we'd be struggling with our novels and we wouldn't know where to bring them to. And of course, as you were saying, you know, the big Malay novel industry, is it's huge to break into that. I wonder what the mechanics are. And um, Amir's just made it, you know, very inclusive. He's just been very welcoming. He just welcomes all sorts of submissions for his short story anthologies. He's mm. he's made it easy for Malaysian writers to get published. Um, and if you go to their website, you'll see that they've kind of developed in a very encouraging way. They sell books under their own label, but also books published by many other publishers, mm -hmm. both in English and Bahasa. And if you look at the genres available, the books run the gamut from agama, religion, to yeah. aksa action, chirpin, short stories, chinta, love, and even mindfood. <laughs> yes, I saw that one. Which is and very I went, refreshing. I, I looked in there because mind I thought... What? Mind what? Mindfood. Oh, is, is that what? M-I-N-D. M-I-N-D. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can go look it up yourself. So pandai. <laughs> it's very pandai. So the fact that, you know, you can read mindfood books in Bahasa uh, says something about our society. We have evolved. We are sophisticated. We have books about 
you know mind dude yeah and and we can read books about mind dude without sounds, getting mind dude sounds like a malay word mind dude yes mind <laughs> anyway what i meant to say was it reminds me very much of those you know when penguin first came out they just had orange for this kind of mm. uh book and then purple for these kinds of books and and it's got this uh, this feeling that anybody can write a great novel and it's accessible by anyone and it looks good and it's accessible it's accessible that's the beauty of it i mean you look at the books and the way they've been designed it's like candy i think fixie's got some uh, great book covers as well they have just like with penguin you know green represents a different genre of books and so on mm. and so they have like fixie novo fixie combo which includes like you know the serial books so you, you right. can ha- get a combo of like book 1 and book 2 uh very catchy titles lots of very very talented uh, malaysian writers the anthology that i was in the kel noir books i i would recommend to anyone they're in english but you know people like terence there are so many writers in there i cannot just mention one yeah. you should just read it and you'll see that the level of writing certainly surprises me and people who are way younger than me and you know it's <laughs> good on them good on them but um fixie retro you can find reprints of usman awang's young nakal nakal so it's a young man's viewpoint of current events including uh, an election but everything is told with a bit of a sexy risky undertone oh. so you know usman awang is famous playwright and writer he wrote udan and dara of course and then p ramli's sitora harimau jadian about a were tiger like a werewolf but were tiger yeah. who's terrorizing the kampong and a doctor comes in and he tries to like discover what's going on but then he gets turned into a harimau too mm. and then you know you see what happens and it was written in 1965 made into a movie to me that's just gold you know and P. you can Ramli wrote this P. Ramli wrote this and wow. you can download the first chapter on the Fixie website I wonder what you were smoking <laughs> there you go well, it's interesting though isn't that uh, a bit of a, a theme in in Malaysian movies mm, Harimau Jadian yeah. uh, what else is there Oh, the, the idea of sort of kind of running amok, you know, you, oh. you kind of lose yourself in, a, in as another spiritual or mythical being. Mm. They have, yeah, things like sucker, yeah. right? This is like where it all comes from. You're not quite in control from. of yourself. I think it's really interesting that that's such a part of it's folklore. A, that's part of the culture, part yeah. of the folklore. Mm. I mean, if you want to talk about identity, I think that's the closest we will get to it. the hundreds of years of culture that we have here mm. which i think a lot of filmmakers and artists and things and writers use as starting points as references to to creating things yeah what about music musicians i will i would like to go back to why aplin chauki isn't making music anymore <laughs> i was going to bring him he up as a musician he has a lovely singing voice he has he's uh, he's very r&b got nice groove and going and he actually scats very well mm, but he yes. rarely brings that out uh, because i suppose it's is very rare for him to do to be singing live with a jazz backup band or anything like that he's But an amazing musician and an amazing songwriter yes. and has written songs i don't know why he isn't ri- writing songs and churning them out a la you know stock aiken waterman or something just giving factory. them to everybody yeah. <laughs> ask him to write me one i'll ask him i'll ask him i mean i like, remember that, I that that musical he did with pola malay ali hip hopra hip hopra that was written um, he's he's wrote, Hayes wrote that, the music yeah. and the lyrics by huzir sulaiman and you know went back and listened to them to everything after about 10 years i bought the cd they were yeah, amazing they were <laughs> no but you know you have amazing performers today 
We have Puva, who is this amazing singer. Yes. She's just released her album. You can get it on iTunes. It's mm-hmm. called Ticket to Fake Town. <laughs> I like yeah, that already. Poofs. That's right, Poofs. And <laughs> Yuna, of course. And Yuna, who's just I mean, gone global. She doesn't even need us to make her turbans anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have the old sort of stalwarts of the music industry, people who write all those hit songs for, you know, stars like Siti Nuhaliza. And, mm-hmm. and um, that kind of music, I think, is what I've known the most because... I've been cognizant of music at oh, that time. Oh, no, another big word from Christina Oro, cognizant. <laughs> I think you have word envy, Edwin. Yes, I have word envy. <laughs> the last one was erudite. I'll try not to try so hard. <laughs> we have Touch of Fusil's Modeka get together life hacks after this, but before we go, here's We Are a Boy Band, taken from the soundtrack of Hip Hopra the Musical, staged in 1998. And this song features innuendo, Aflin Shauki, with lyrics by Husir Sulaiman and music by Hayes. Crazy times, so much fun!
89.9. This is a Sunday kind of love. I'm Maya Tan. I hope you're having a laid-back kind of Sunday. Um, it's been kind of an emotional week for most of us, but we are at the tail end of Raya season and you may have some gatherings planned yet. So here's Tasha with some life hacks and shortcuts for that last Kopek get-together. We're getting a long weekend next week and chances are some of you are already planning to organize summer deca celebrations and get-togethers. But sometimes our plans fall together at the last minute, so we need all the help we can get. In the spirit of living the easy life, here's some hacks that you might need to get through the holiday weekend. Now a party isn't a party without some food or snack, so let's take a look at some good party food hacks. If you're having a barbecue and you've got a whole heap of condiments that might take up space on your table, use a muffin tray. Fill them up with your ketchup, chili sauce, mustard and onions to keep things neat and in one place. And with burger patties, try putting a dent in the middle of the burger patties with your thumb and the patty will actually cook flat instead of round. If you plan to serve ice cream at your party, try scooping them into balls beforehand and then put them back in the freezer. That way, you'll have the perfect individual portions ready to be eaten when dessert is ready to be served. Apparently, keeping your tub of ice cream in a sealed Ziploc bag will actually keep the consistency of your ice cream as soft and as lovely as when you first opened it. If you're baking cupcakes but you haven't got the time to make the icing, put a marshmallow in the center of the cupcakes 5 minutes before it finishes baking. It'll melt and make a delicious toasted marshmallow topping. If you're serving cheese at your party, use unwaxed floss to slice the cheese into fine and neat slices. No chip and dip tray? No problem! Stick a wine glass in the middle of a large bowl and fill the bowl with chips for an instant chip and dip set. If you haven't got enough bowls for your chips or you just can't be bothered with the washing up, you can use the bags as a makeshift bowl. Fold the top edge inside the bag first, then begin rolling the bottom corners, up into the base of the bag, pushing the chips up as you go. You'll end up with a custom snack bowl and because the chips are still in the bag, your guests will know exactly what flavours of chips are available. Now when you're too busy planning things like food and decorations, other details like music are sometimes overlooked. So if the party has already begun but all you've got on you is your phone, try putting it into a glass cup to get instant speakers. Another thing we often forget about is how the place smells. So if you're out of scented candles or air fresheners, then try simmering some lemon, vanilla and rosemary on your stove. It's a lovely and natural way to freshen up the scent of your home and it won't cost you anything. One thing that always happens to me at a party is I always lose my drink. Avoid the confusion of whose drink belongs to who and also save the environment by labelling your plastic cups with the names of your guests. You can go really basic with a permanent marker or sticker labels or use some cute washi tape to make things a little more pretty. Never want to wonder where the bottle opener is? Tie the bottle opener to the cooler or the fridge to avoid guests having to search for it again and again. In our weather, it's always a struggle to keep our drinks cool, so here's a couple of things that we can try. Using frozen grapes instead of ice cubes is a great way to keep drinks cool without diluting the taste. If you're using a cooler to store your drinks, you can fill up balloons with water and freeze them and use them as ice blocks. Make a few batches so you can rotate and refreeze them when they thaw. If your individual drink starts to warm up, wrap the bottle in a wet paper towel and put it in the freezer. It should cool in 15 minutes or less. Make a bigger ice block to put into your punch bowl because it stays frozen a lot longer than little individual ice cubes do. To make the ice block, just fill any container with water and freeze it overnight. 
You can use a loaf pan, a cake pan, or even a Tupperware. To release the ice, just turn it upside down over the sink and run some hot water over the container until the ice block pops out. You can also try making an ice water and salt bath. So fill a bucket with ice, add enough water to cover the ice, then add two handfuls of salt. Don't be shy with the salt because it only works if you use a generous amount. Keeping it in this salt and water will cool it in 20 minutes, which will be a lot quicker than just leaving it in the freezer. So that's it for some of the holiday party hacks that we've got for this week. Let us know if you find them useful, or if you'd like to suggest other life hacks, tweet us at BFM Radio. Life hack. Hiya! And we've come to the end of A Sunday Kind of Love with me, Maya Tan, Tasha Fusil, and our couch potatoes, Christina Oro and Edwin Sumun. Tune in next week for more things to look forward to in the week ahead. But before that, I'm going to leave you with a song from another Malaysian musician after my own heart. This is my personal favourite, Reza Saleh with Sunsets With You from the album Realize. This is A Sunday Kind of Love on BFM 89.9. Watch the sunsets with you All my flowers and my towers I give to you She's the one that gives me light Gives me love and holds me I never want to leave this moment of place with you And now the music's gone and I've come to realize That I, I miss you
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.